Hey everyone, welcome to the Fort Worth OMB Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Brian Wong. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Matthew Earl, and we're very excited to be here today. How's it going, right. Dr. Earl? That's good. How are you? Oh, you know, just living the dream. Living the dream. Every day's a nightmare. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the feared trach bleed. Oh man, this is the third time that we're talking about trachs, huh? I know. It's a lot of information about trachs. All right, but this is going to be the last one, right? Yep. This is, and this is probably the scariest one. Fair enough. All right. All so right. talk to me about trach bleeding. When a patient rolls into your emergency department and says, my trach is bleeding, what do you do? What do you think? Well, for me, I usually take a moment um, and then scream internally uh, because this is uh, my biggest nightmare. If a person is saying that they are bleeding from their trach site, this, is, uh, this can be some very, very bad business. At the same time, too, it can also just be nothing. So it's kind of hard to parse out which one is which, but it's also, you know, we have some good tools and good ways to kind of assess for that. So okay. scream for like five seconds inside, calm myself, and then assess the patient. Gotcha. So 30 seconds self, self-help pause and then yeah. get at it. Yeah, yeah. Take okay. that pause. Take that pause first. So uh, where's the bleed coming from? Um, when the patient says that they are bleeding from their trach, I want to know a few things. It, like how big is the bleed? All right. Where is it actually coming from? And what does the patient look like, okay? Are they an extremis? Are they tachypnic? Are they tripoding? Are they kind of like having gurgling sounds and that's coming up? How much bleeding is there around their trach site and whatnot? Um, so in order to kind of first assess, um, I kind of do a scene size up first and just kind of like look at the patient. And then I start to, you know, take away some of like their dressings around their trach, kind of visually inspect um, the areas. Not all of the bleeding is the same, like I was saying before, that you could just be a small amount of oozing, you know, just a little bit of bleeding and whatnot, just because they may have like a, a relatively new uh, tracheostomy site and whatnot, and there's a little bit of irritation of the trach tube itself, kind of like up against the skin, and you just have a little bit of an abrasion there. No big deal, right? Or it could just be like, you know, flex of blood, you know, that's kind of like mixed in with the sputum, which you know, it doesn't look all that bad, but could potentially be um, in a, a lower lung infection. So like a pneumonia where they have more increased secretions and whatnot, get that rust colored sputum and everything like that that's coming up through the trach. Um, certainly nothing to, you know, like lose your mind over, but at the same time to kind of cautiously, you know, like look at it and take it into consideration and whatnot. Um, so those are kind of like, you know, the mixes of like, yeah, this is not that bad. And, you know, we have a little bit of time here um, and, you know, we can kind of address them. For the, like the small cutaneous bleeds, you can just apply a little bit of pressure to them, put some gauze over it, try to stop some of that bleeding and whatnot. But be careful not to put too much pressure on the, on the area because you don't want to occlude the airway. You don't want to make them vagal and pass out. So much more of a headache when something else ha- happens like that. But like you said, such so important. Is the bleeding coming from around the trach or in the trach? Correct. Because if they just had a trach exchange and someone was using a little bit too much force, it's probably going to have a little bit of oozing around that trach. Yeah, yeah. Some little bit of granulation tissue and whatnot, you know, definitely take a consideration into uh, how it looks and whatnot. And if you can identify where the source of the bleed. Now, for the big one, okay? The big one that everyone uh, of us in emergency medicine, as far as like physicians go, we need to know this type of bleed. And it is the very feared tracheoidominate fistula. 
That is a big, big word, definitely a 25 cent word. But if you can fix this thing, this is potentially a life-saving maneuver, okay? Um, so what this is, is that, you know, the trachea and a vessel, uh, an arterial vessel, actually creates a hole in between each other. So literally you have an artery that has eroded into the trachea and is now literally spurting bright red arterial blood into the trachea, into your airway. And that is definitely no bueno. It usually occurs within like the first month of like trach placement, but at the same time too, it can happen at any point, at any time within their uh, lifetime of having that tracheostomy and then having that trach tube in place. So even before you see this massive hemorrhage, this tracheal anomenofacial can actually occur uh, in a, what we call a sentinel bleed, where it's just a small amount of bleeding that actually occurs. It could be like a little bit of oozing or kind of like a steady flow of blood that's coming from the site, coming from within the trach site that actually represents a much larger bleed because it's kind of like when you have like a dam that has a leak uh, behind it and it's slowly kind of like pushing through and then the next thing you know you start to hear the cracks and then the dam bursts and now you have like a really big problem. So up to 50% of these tracheotinomina fistulas can actually have a sentinel bleed prior to that. It can be a very small amount, about like 10 cc's. Um, there's not a whole ton that you can really do for these uh, tracheotinomina fistulas, but they definitely need to be evaluated pretty quickly. Um, and the only thing that we should really be doing is be taking them to the emergency department so they can uh, be seen by a higher level of care. And if the patient doesn't really want to go, I mean, that potentially could be a life-threatening disease. Yeah, right absolutely. To recap, these tracheostomies compress on that front edge of the trachea and cause an erosion into the arterial vessel, which causes these massive bleeds. So any amount of blood that comes out of the trachea is scary. And these patients need to be assessed to make sure that this isn't a forming tracheonominate fistula. Right. Perfect. So uh, my, my question to you, Dr. Earl, is how do we fix these tracheonominate fistula bleeds? So if you happen to come across a real deal tracheonominate fistula hemorrhage, you have two things you need to do. Secure the airway and stop the bleeding. You need to secure the airway to keep them from drowning on their own blood and you need to stop the bleeding to make them not exsanguinate. This is an arterial bleed that is non-compressible. So we're gonna talk about two different things. We're gonna talk about the interventions that you're expected to do as a medic and heroic interventions that you may choose to do but you are not required to do. All right. So your required interventions, the first thing you should do is try, if they have a cuffed trach in place, you want to hyperinflate it. That means take that normal uh, 10cc syringe, throw it away. You're going to put 50ccs of air into that trach cuff. You're going to try to blow it up like a balloon and hopefully it's in the right spot that it will compress that bleed and stop the hemorrhage for long enough to get to the hospital. Okay. It's pretty likely that these patients will have a cuffed trach. Usually this happens about a month out like you talked about earlier. So if they still have that cuffed trach, that's going to be your first move. If they don't have a cuffed trach, or if hyperinflation fails, you can attempt external digital compression. And definitely refer to the show notes for this one for pictures, 
what you're going to do is you're going to take your index finger, you're going to press it into the jugular notch, which is that little notch right at the top of the sternum, mm -hmm. and you're going to hook your finger down behind the sternum and try to pull that blood vessel towards the sternum. Mm. Disclaimer, this is going to be extremely uncomfortable, and you're going to be using a lot of force. It's going to be difficult, especially on patients who are a little bit more on the obese side. You may not be able to get direct compression. These are really the only two measures that you can do pre-hospital to try to stop a tracheonominate fistula. You don't have a lot of tools in your toolbox. Now, we're going to talk about heroic measures. Like we talked about, these are things that you can consider doing, but these are not expected of you, and these are things you should never do unless life-threatening hemorrhage is occurring. This patient is bleeding out in front of you, and the only thing you have left is heroic measures. That's when you can think about doing these. So the first one is try to reposition the trach. So if the trach is a little deep to where the bleed is occurring, you can actually pull that cuff back up a little bit and get it positioned over the bleed. If you do this and the bleeding stops, you need to hold that trach in the exact same position until you get to the hospital. Ooh, yeah, man, you, that's a long time. That can be a long transport time, and you are not allowed to move. It's like it, you, you become part of the patient until you get to the hospital. So that's the first thing you can try. This only works if the bleed is proximal to the trach balloon. If the bleed is deep to that trach balloon, this won't work. Okay. The second thing you can try is a trach swap and internal digital compression. So what this is going to be is you're either swapping the trach for an ET tube or you're intubating from above to pass an ET tube past the trach. And what you're going to try to do is either inflate the cuff of the ET tube to stop the bleed itself like you do with hyperinflation of the trach cuff okay, or give yourself enough space to hook a finger through the stoma and get a finger on the bleed so you can compress it. Literally putting your finger into the stoma. You are sticking your finger in the neck hole. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay, all right then. Like we talked about, very, very last step heroic measures. Please do not do this to anyone unless you have no options left. And again, this is important because that ET tube is going to be the only thing that lets the patient breathe around that finger that you just jammed into their neck. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of stuff that's actually in a very small space right there. Yes, so using a smaller ET tube may be necessary, especially if you're going to go through, you're going to try to put your finger and the ET tube through the stoma itself. Going with a 6-0 might be the only thing that you can do. If you have giant sausage fingers, this might not be an option for you. You might not be able to get both things through that stoma. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, these are incredibly sick patients. They are on borrowed time, and it doesn't matter who sees them pre-hospital. They need to be in an OR. This is like the abdominal aortic aneurysm. Yeah. You have seconds to live, and if you happen to have the right combination of factors and a medic who's quick on their feet and go, moves quickly to these heroic measures, you might be able to stop this bleed. Even if you do, getting this patient to the hospital, their outcome is not going to be good regardless. So... Have these heroic measures in your mind as tools in your toolbox, but understand that no matter what you do, these patients are likely going to have bad outcomes. All right, so just to kind of recap, okay? So there are four things essentially that I can do in order to stop a patient with a tracheonominate fistula bleed. 
Um, so the first thing I can do is hyperinflate the tracheal cuff. Throw, throw that 10cc syringe away, just inflate it up to 50cc's. Try to do that. I can try to compress the patient's bleed from outside by putting my finger along that jugular notch right there. Okay, so those are the first two moves that I'm expected to do. And then if I really want to be Captain America, it's come in and save the day. Uh, the other two things I can do is I can try to reposition the trach by kind of like pulling it back a little bit and hopefully getting that bleed and then stopping and tamponading it off there. Or I can go ahead and try to tra uh, trade out the trach with either a new trach or an ETT and also stick my finger inside the stoma itself and press that, uh, press that bleed down and hopefully stop the bleed. So those are the four things I can try to do. Absolutely. The only thing I'm going to say is before you go Captain America, you got to do your first two interventions before you try any heroic measures. All right. All right. The last thing I want to touch on is TXA because whenever we say the word hemorrhage, we need to talk about TXA. TXA should not cross your mind for these patients until they are stabilized. It is the least important thing you could possibly do for a patient who has an actual tracheonominate fistula. For patients who have bronchitis and some flecks of blood or a sentinel bleed, TXA is not going to help them either. So I want to put that out there. TXA has no role in these patients. Okay. All right, then. So kind of a deep, dark subject to talk about. Yeah, but these are truly, this is the one area in if our pre-hospital providers can actually identify it, we can intervene on. And then these are truly in 100% life-saving procedures um, and can really make a difference um, for, for our patients out in the field. Absolutely, and 100% something that we can avoid if we convince patients who have a sentinel bleed to go to the hospital. All right, if you take all of your sentinel bleeds to the hospital, you're never going to have to stick your finger into a, a stoma to stop a tracheonominate fistula. Have you ever stuck your finger inside a stoma before? No, and I never want to. Neither have I, and I really hope to never do that as well. Well, here we go, guys. We're here wishing that no one ever has to stick their finger inside of a, a stoma to stop a tracheonominate fistula. But thank you to everyone for listening in. Keep in mind, our show notes are posted online, so you can go and take a look if you're a visual learner. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Three out of three, right? This is the last one. No last more trace. No more trace ever again. No more ever again. All right. Fantastic. All right. See you next time.